Welcome to Finding the Faith with me, your host, Frida Donnelly, where we explore what matters. Whether it's traversing someone's faith journey, diving deeper into doctrine, or simply enjoying Christian fellowship, I aim to focus on the good and the beautiful to provide you with some respite from the world. If you'd like to join us live, check out Finding the Faith on Rumble every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. All the links are in the show notes down below. Please remember to rate and subscribe, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finding the Faith. If you are new here, thank you so much for coming to my super exciting, awesome episode with Faith Moore. It was a pleasure to meet her backstage, and I can't wait to be able to bring her out here for all of you guys. Um, so just so you know what's going on here, Finding the Faith is a show that explores what matters, whether you're joining us for the first time or seeing you in chat is one of my favorite parts of the week. I'm glad that you're here. If you are new here, please make sure you hit that subscribe button and everyone make sure you like this video. We're live almost every single Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard here on Rumble. Every Rumble rant gets Jazz a treat at the end. And if you want your wholesome meme to be shared, DM me on Twitter before the show ends and let me know in chat so I can pull it up. But, and when I say wholesome, I mean like it can be funny, it can be a little bit spicy, but like, you know, keep it clean. We have faith more on the show, okay guys? Don't make me look bad. <laughs> but anyways, I'm so excited to have Faith Moore here. She is an absolute delight. She is as beautiful on the outside as she is on the inside, and I can't wait to get to talk to her. Hey, Faith, how are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. Thank you. It is great to see you as well. I love your sweater. It's really pretty. Oh, thank you very much. It's really cold here. I'm in New York. It's really, really cold. Yeah, I'm in... I am also in New England. Yeah, so you know. Yeah. It's freezing today, so I just did my really warm sweater. <laughs> yeah. That's why I had to, like, break out the flannels for Thanksgiving break, because we went up to Maine. Oh, yeah. It's probably yeah. much colder there than it is here. Yeah. It was, like, I don't even know. I didn't go outside. It was that cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was lovely, thank you. I had my whole family here, and I didn't have to travel, which was nice. I got to host, nice. and everybody, my parents and my brother and my brother-in-law were here, and it was lovely to all be in one place. How about you? That's awesome. It was really, really lovely. There was, you know, a couple of things that happened, but by the time I left, my baby nephew, he was doing so much better, because yeah. presumably he gave me what he had. Oh. <laughs> Well, yeah, you yeah. tend to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Share the love. Yeah. Yes. But thank you, everybody in chat, for all of your prayers. It was literally the scariest thing that I had ever gone through. And you guys know, if you've been here for a while, that I survived being run off the road. So scarier than that is pretty scary. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's doing Better. so much better. Good. Everybody else in my family is doing so much better. And I am so looking forward to the holidays. Yes. <laughs> Holly, hooray. In chat, um, PJ asks, does that mean that Frida is done with the show after that this? There's Faith. We found her. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm here. I, they've been looking for me all this time, and I was just yes. right here. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny, like, writing the copy and stuff for um, announcing this show, because I was like, spiritual journey <laughs> um right I know it's yeah. weird in general to have a name that's a word like it, it just generally but I feel like anytime we're talking about 
faith and like religion, mm-hmm. then it becomes even more ridiculous that my name is Faith. <laughs> I ha- I used to have an old friend named Grace and whenever I would try to tell her um, man to give her some grace on this, because she was like, still <laughs> learning, it'd be like, how do I do that? She has it. She's Grace. <laughs> I know. I know. It's impossible. It's impossible. And I, anyone whose name is a word, I feel your pain. <laughs> but actually, I love my name, but I, it is one of those weird things. Yeah. yeah, I can I can see how that would. And also, you have no ease in your name. There's no ease in Clavin. There's no ease in Clavin. There is one in more, which is I always say. So I mean, I don't know what that means because I don't really know <laughs> why. I guess there are no ease in Clavin so that we spell it correctly. I guess that's why there's no. E. That's why we say that. So there exactly. are there is an e in more. So there you go. But not in faith. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, just a moment. Hey, babe, your work phone is ringing off the hook and you left it in here. Can you come grab it? Thank you. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> yes, he is an in-demand man. Yes. We can't have that phone ringing off the hook. Got to answer. Yes. Especially <laughs> as a housewife, I am very, you know, doing everything I can to support his career because he supports yeah. mine. For sure. Same. <laughs> so getting into the, you know, your religious journey, what are your first memories of religion? Okay, so that's an interesting question. I knew you were going to ask me that because I've heard you ask other people, but I was not raised religious at all. But I do have several early memories about religion. So um, I think probably the first kind of way that religion was a part of my life is that when I was a kid, like really little, maybe like two or so, Mm -hmm. we became friends with a family who lived in the building sort of across the way. And we became friends because the, the mom kind of like, heard us play there was like a communal garden in our building oh I love that yes and their building looked onto it so they couldn't come into the garden but she heard us she heard me playing the mom and she sort of looked down because she had kids Mm -hmm. one who was my age and one who was like a couple years older and she was like oh like maybe we can be friends and she kind of like yelled over the the railing like hey Mm -hmm. like want to hang out or whatever and so it turned and so we did and became our families became very very close and the husband in that family the father Mm -hmm. um was an episcopalian minister okay was the priest in the church that Mm -hmm. was the building she was in so they lived in the rectory of the church okay and he was calling down to us into our into our garden and so several times i mean many times we went Mm -hmm. to the the church service even though we weren't we weren't religious at all. Yeah. And um, just, I think, to sort of support them and be a part yeah. of the community and a part of their lives. And I even went to Sunday school sometimes. Oh, and the, cool. the funny story is that mm-hmm. one time the Sunday school children and me were mm-hmm. being sort of taken up to the altar rail to take communion. And mm-hmm. my dad saw this and was sort of like, he, he didn't want to offend, I think, his friend mm-hmm. by having me a not baptized person like, yeah communion and so he like ran up the aisle of the church and like grabbed me away from the from the, the communion area because mm-hmm. you know, later I think his friend was sort of like I would have just like given her a blessing or something like I I know her and I know whatever anyway so that was yeah. kind of a big part of my life and we were over at their house all the time and like you know in the church and in the rectory mm-hmm. um and you know and so it, it's funny because actually mm-hmm. like religion and particularly like Episcopalianism or Anglicanism um, has been a a part of my life 
all through childhood because then after that I we we moved to England and I lived mm-hmm. in London for several years and I went to a school that was a like see of a Church of England school and so like every morning we would you know at assembly we would pray I mean we would kneel and you know clasp our hands and pray and yeah um, I remember that from you had spoken about that in Saving Cinderella that right exactly so I mean yeah like a big huge part of my life and you know we go to church like at the school then we would go to mm-hmm. church like on important kind of holidays and things like yeah. that church and um and even before that I had several friends who would just sort of take me to Sunday school or, or, or whatever so it was like a big part of my life so I guess I guess those are kind of my earliest memories mm-hmm. in addition to the fact that like I also knew that I was Jewish in some way that my father yeah. had been raised Jewish and had kind of but you know, he, he has written a lot of, and talked a lot about this, but he had kind of moved away from that because he felt that it was, mm-hmm. he, he was a sort of secular Jewish person. And I, yeah. you know, I still kind of claim that as part of my heritage and my DNA that I, mm-hmm. I am Jewish or half Jewish. And, and, but growing up, like there was like one year where like, I kind of got Hanukkah gifts and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, I, and actually when I was at the church of England school, I was a and I was a teenager, I sort of had a rebellious phase where like I wore a star of David because I, I wanted to not have to pray or, or, you know, not have to be a part of that mm-hmm. because it wasn't me. And I, you know, I wanted yeah. to be completely different, you know, and, and um, I so, love that. So yeah. you mentioned that your father was raised as a secular Jew and later converted to Christianity. How did that affect your upbringing? I, I think there was a sense in my household that kind of like it, we were being uh, allowed to choose that, okay. you know, that we, cause you know, my, my mother was raised in the Christian tradition, sort of, you know, like mm-hmm. she, she, there wasn't a whole lot of kind of religion in her household either. And, and as you say, my, in my dad's household, they, they kind of went through the, the forms of mm-hmm. Judaism and he had a bar mitzvah and all of these things, but he didn't feel that they really kind of believed what they were saying they were just kind of doing the rituals and the things that they were supposed to yeah. do is their kids or whatever um and so by the time I was born they both were kind of you know either you know at some point maybe atheist but also but just sort of agnostic just kind of mm-hmm. like we don't really know <laughs> you know what we don't know yeah. what's out there we don't you know it's something might be out there we just we don't know what it is and you as kids get to decide mm-hmm. you know what what you want and so I think that like what that meant is that there was a lot of kind of conversation about just kind of spirituality and, and religion and, you know, what it all meant. And and we were kind of allowed to have those questions like, you know, well, if there is a God, what would that mean? You know, like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, what would it mean for me personally? What would it mean for the world? You know, and if there isn't a God, what does that mean? And if, if it's this God, what does it mean? If it's that God, what does it mean? Yeah. A lot of just kind of conversation about, about kind of spirituality and souls and the afterlife and and it was just very sort of clear like we are not going to tell you what to believe mm-hmm. we're, we're not going to pick for you some religion yeah we don't that's have. very much how my husband grew up as yeah. well yeah yeah and, I mean I actually feel very happy about that like I feel very glad that I was able to come to to come to faith on on my own you know and and yeah so with certainty that like it was something that I really truly believe rather than something that I had to kind of figure out like well do I really think this or is it just something that I was taught since infancy? absolutely yeah. I I've been on both sides of that so mm-hmm. I 
definitely understand where you're coming from with that. It's yeah. there's such a beauty to wanting Christ, to having that, you know, openness and that want and that kind of like hunger for truth and faith and then being able to accept it, like accept him because, you know, we all know that he wants us. Right. For whatever reason <laughs> speaking about some of us not you <laughs> but yeah so when do you remember you know was there like a particular moment where you remember accepting Jesus as your savior and what did that like look like for you well it it happened because I was grieving um so I I had had a, I had a miscarriage um before I had my oldest son so mm-hmm. probably about 10 years ago now. Um, and I, during that time, you know, there were several weeks when I kind of knew something was wrong, yeah. and I, but it, you know, like, but the, but every time I was going to the doctor, they were like, nope, look, still there. Everything's fine. Heartbeat, whatever. Um, and during, but during that time I was every day, all the time, I was sort of like, please God, let this baby be okay. And pray. Yeah. But I did to who? I don't know. Like I, I didn't, I didn't believe in anything in particular, but for some reason in that moment, it felt like I needed to pray. And so I was yeah. praying, please, please let this baby be okay. And the baby wasn't okay. And it didn't, yeah. you know, did, he didn't make it. And the funny thing is, I mean, I guess that like, I could have then concluded that there is no God, right? I could have mm-hmm. concluded like I asked and I asked and I, you know, I prayed and then this tragedy happened. But actually, it it made me believe. I, I believed it, it sort of immediately because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then when later when, you know, we kind of went through the medical sort of exploration of what happened and it, and it kind of turned out that, like, this baby was not going to be able to keep growing just because of what yeah. the sort of genetic issues that it had. It wasn't going to be able to. I'm sorry, I'm saying it. I don't know if it was a boy or a girl. Yeah. So. No, that's valid. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, he, you know, wasn't, there wasn't a way that he could grow yeah. all the way to, to. Was grow. it like failure to thrive kind of thing? Or so it if was, you don't mind me asking. I don't mind at all, actually. And we were able to do this testing and basically what had happened is, I forget the, I think it's called triploidy. Um, okay. It's when two sperm fertilized one egg which is not, it's not a viable way to grow a baby. Um, And so it, you know, basically like there was a wonderful doctor who explained Mm -hmm. to me, you know, all the other doctors are kind of like, whatever, it's the first miscarriage, you're fine. And there was this wonderful doctor who said, you know, a woman needs to know why this happened. Like what, what's going on? Cause I was afraid like, oh, if I try again, is this going to happen again? Am I going to go through this million, like, you know, and I know some women, Super valid. some women do go through it yeah. over and over and over again. And I really feel for them. And, and I was able to kind of discover that it was just a, a fluke, you know, like just a sort yeah. of fluke. And the way he described it to me is basically like, you know, there was enough kind of genetic code to start growing. Mm-hmm. But then when it kind of went back to the code to be like, okay, what happens next? Yeah. It was sort of like, I don't know, because it had sort of too, too much genetic information than it's that makes sense. to have. Right. So mm-hmm. And when I learned that, I was kind of like, oh, so I was praying, but I didn't have the full picture. Yeah. I had the full picture. And, you know, he knew what was going on. And, you know, he he didn't answer the prayer I was praying, but he answered the 
a different prayer. He, he answered the yeah. prayer that I, I needed at the time. And, and he answered the prayer of, you know, finding him and yeah. which I also didn't know I was praying, but I guess I really was. And, you know, and so from that moment, I sort of mm-hmm. knew, okay, I, I believe, and I, I knew somehow that it was sort of the Christian God, you know, and yeah. I, I think, I guess just again, because I, I had had a lot of experience yeah that and also in that time my my the whole rest of my family had converted mm-hmm. so like I was the last so you know my dad did my mom my brother you know they mm-hmm. all kind of found faith and I was the sort of stubborn holdout and so you know I think when I had that sense of him mm-hmm. I recognized the God that was there in the church when I would go to church or you know that was there I sort of knew yeah who that was. And it took me several years to then decide to get baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got baptized maybe two or three years later, I think three years later. Um, so it took me a while to kind of be like, okay, like the, I really am going for this. Um, well, it's an important decision yeah. and it, right. you know, requires and deserves thought because like, it's a very important commitment right? and you, no one should enter into that lightly. Exactly. And so it's a good thing that you didn't. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. So- yeah, and actually, the person that baptized me was the man who was the priest in that church. Oh, I I was baptized in that church by that same priest whose wife had called over the wall to my mom. So, that is so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's really incredible. Um, stepping back just so we can touch on a couple of these comments here in chat. Um, our mutual friend Jess whose show you're going on yes, next yes. Tuesday she's here with this um her baby also had triploidy is that yeah I think that's what it's called Jess would know more than I yeah <laughs> yeah and there's yeah. a lot of uh love for you in this chat right now thank so thank you, you for that guys. I am back towards you and I know this is a very it's very common miscarriage is so common yeah. we don't talk about it enough and it comes with a lot of shame that it shouldn't come with. And so I all that love back to you guys. I actually got misdiagnosed with having a miscarriage. Oh. Yeah. What? I didn't what? have a baby. I didn't oh. have a miscarriage. Oh. I didn't have, I had like a totally other ballpark like health issue wow. that was related to my autoimmune disease. And they were like, oh my God, you have to go to the hospital. You have to go to like women and infants because you're having a miscarriage. And I'm like, how can I have that if I don't know I'm pregnant? Right. I mean, I guess you you could, but that would be very strange. And, yeah. Oh, doctors. That's a whole other Yeah. Story. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so even that, like, crumb of heartbreak, mm-hmm. you know, just, I think, kind of allows me to ha- have, you know, much more empathy with the somebody actually, you know, having that situation. Yeah. I'm grateful that I didn't have, but also it was insane but yeah awful to be told that and scary to sort of yeah on a roller coaster to be told suddenly that they thought you were pregnant and then also that you're maybe losing the baby so that's scary yeah, yeah. my husband like beat the rescue there yeah. and he was like in a different state good good husband well yes. done husband. <laughs> yeah. oh one of um the people in chat want to know why do miscarriages engender shame? And like, why is that such a shameful thing? So yeah. do you have any thoughts on that? I have, a yes, several. How long do you have? No, okay. Uh, so two things. One is I think that 
women are prone to feel guilty. And I think that, you know, like mom guilt is a thing. Like the, I always say like you give birth to your baby and they hand you your baby and some guilt because like it just goes, it just yeah. kind of goes hand in hand. And I think women are particularly prone to that. I, I felt incredibly guilty and incredibly. I, because, and this is the thing that I sort of kept saying and like sobbing to my mother, you know, I, I was supposed to take care of this baby. Like I had been given this sort of sacred duty to care for this baby. And this was my first job as a mother. You know, our job as mothers is to care for our kids and keep them safe and make sure that they're okay. And, you know, I had been given that job and I felt that I had let the baby down. I felt, and the thing that I just kept saying is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so, so sorry. And I just kept saying that to my child because I... It, you know, I felt like this here was this innocent being that had had come into had come to into life. You know, there mm -hmm. there he was with his heart beating and, you know, all the systems go. Mm -hmm. And then he died, you know, and I yeah. that I there's there's there is a sort of inherent kind of guilt or shame to that, even though there shouldn't be, because obviously I didn't, I was not, I was yeah. not drinking or whatever, you know, I wasn't like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Yeah. I, I was doing everything I was supposed to do. So it wasn't my fault. And I know that, but there is still that, that sense. But I yeah. also think that, um, the ingredients math just wasn't mathing. Right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think that the other piece is that the reason there's a whole bunch of silence around miscarriage, which I think kind of translates into guilt when you mm -hmm. have one because people don't talk about it. So you're kind of like, what, like, why is this weird thing? Why is this horrible thing happening to me? Um, yeah. And I think that has to do with um, abortion and the narrative around abortion. I think that if we have to, as a culture, set up the notion that that's not a baby, and in order to, because we have to do that in order to make abortion, quote unquote, okay, to say that that's not a baby that we are ending the life of when we perform an abortion, then it's not a baby when it is lost by a miscarriage. And so then we're not allowed to kind of express our grief. And we're not allowed to say, you know, my child was, was there and now is gone. And, you know, and I do, I make a distinction between losing a child that's been alive, that's mm -hmm. been born for several years and, and a miscarriage because you haven't really met this child that you miscarry. So it is yeah. more devastating, I think, to lose a child that has been born. But even so, this was your child and you had I think there, yeah. I yeah. can see how I've had friends who have been on both sides of that, you know, very unfortunate spectrum. And it seems like the grief, the intensity of the grief is the same. It's just the what ifs are different. Mm -hmm. And that makes it kind of, at least from, you know, talking with them and sitting with them and that, it makes it kind of seem like both of them are just devastating in their own ways. Yeah, I mean, I think that now being a mother and, you know, having two children, I, you know, I don't even want to talk, like, God forbid, yeah. if anything was to happen, like, I know that the grief that I would feel personally would be larger because of, you know, the fact that I've now been their mother for all this time and I yeah. are and, and all of these, these things, but it, it doesn't change the personness of the baby that you lose in miscarriage. And I think that that's, 
the problem because I think that any, even a person, and you know, obviously I'm, I don't know, there's probably some people that don't feel this way, but I think most people, even a person who philosophically believes that abortion should be allowed and is okay, I think most people who lose a wanted pregnancy feel the grief of that. And I think when you feel that grief and you exist in this world of like, it's fine, that wasn't a baby to begin with, you mm -hmm. kind of know that it wasn't and that it was. And so you don't know what to do with yourself. And yeah. so I think that that's why there's all this silence around it is because we can't talk about it because if we talk about it, we have to acknowledge that it was a baby. Yeah, that, I mean, that very much sounds like a situation that I had gone through with a friend of several years. We didn't always agree on everything, yeah. especially politically, mm -hmm. but we had a lot of other things in common. And so when she got that DNC um, because of the fact that she was having a miscarriage of twins, it was so much so that she just took all of the grief and kind of, you know, I was like doing my best to be there for her, even though I am very, very, very pro-life. I was like, you know, what, how can I do to help? Like all of the stuff and holding that space for her. And she kind of got mad at me. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, you just think it was an abortion. And I'm like, no, like you had a miscarriage. She's like, no, it was an abortion. I aborted them. And I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think there's a lot of, I don't think there's enough knowledge around female fertility. I totally agree with that. And I think one of the things, one of the horrible things that um, the kind of, pro-abortion side is trying to do is trying to say that a DNC or, you know, yeah, a DNC is always an abortion. And I think that that's ridiculous because in an abortion, the baby's alive and the DNC kills it. And after a miscarriage, so I had a DNC after a miscarriage, the baby was already gone. And, you know, you have to, uh, you have, to have one if there, your body doesn't kind of expel mm -hmm. everything. Um, by itself you have to have one because you can get an infection like you can get yeah. if you don't um kind of remove both the embryo but also like the placenta and all of the yeah the pieces that were growing in there that are not supposed to be there unless you're unless you're pregnant and so I think it's a horrible thing that they want to sort of convince us of <laughs> sorry I can hear my it's child. all good um yeah that they want to convince us of you know, that like, oh, well, if you, if you don't support abortion, then no one will be able to get a DNC. It's like, no, like, yeah, they won't be able to get a DNC for an abortion, but they <laughs> will if they had a miscarriage. And I think that's, it's just like the rhetoric and this sort of ridiculous kind of yeah. posturing that people are doing in order to prove their point. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of intellectually, there's not, you know, a, there's not that worthiness unless there's the wantedness that goes with it. Right. Yeah. Um, so do you have any memories that you want to share about London and how moving abroad with your family at a young age affected your spiritual life? I know you already kind of touched on that, but I was just like, when I read that you like moved to London, I was like, oh my gosh, my dream. Oh, is it? <laughs> I, like, so I... At the time growing up when I was like growing up. Yeah. So I... <laughs> I had a wonderful, wonderful time living in London. Mm -hmm. I lived there from the age of nine to the age of 16. Oh, cool. And, but, but if you had asked me, I would have told you, I hate it here. I want to leave. I want to go home. I hung a giant American flag on my wall. I was allowed to decorate my own room and I hung 
a, an American flag the size of my wall on my wall um, and trimmed the like the border like of the ceiling in like stars and stripes, like some sort of weird border of like stars and stripes, which is super <laughs> obnoxious of me because then every friend, all my friends were British. And so then they would come over and like, <laughs> like hate us, like what's happening? Um, so I was kind of obnoxious and I always wanted to go home and I had my best friend, like I had sort of left my best friend back in New York, which is where we had come from. And so I was really <laughs> mad that like, you know, we had to Valid. not be and, and because it was like I'm ancient so like there was no internet and the like the phone you couldn't it was like long distance it was really expensive to call so we were mm -hmm. only allowed to call each other for like five minutes every couple of weeks so it was like really I was mad that I had to live there but looking back it really was a, a wonderful time in my life and I mean yeah. I, you know, I went to this wonderful school. I went to this wonderful British school, like, you know, that was just completely like, I could have gone to the American school, but I didn't. And it mm -hmm. was this, you know, it was a Church of England school and it was in, it was three kind of British row houses together. Oh, and nice. like, there were like secret, like nooks and crannies and like there was a woman mm -hmm. and all, I mean, it was kind of like, it wasn't like Hogwarts because it wasn't like a castle, but it was, <laughs> it was kind of just like, I don't know, maybe like, where the Narnia kids might have gone mm -hmm. to school in London or something like I, I don't know it was very kind of lovely and and just sort of just right for me and I, I miss it a lot and the the thing that I really am mad about is mm -hmm. that on coming back you know in my kind of early 20s I I got very very into like Henry VIII and his wives and and Tudor mm -hmm. England um which may come up if we talk about Episcopalianism but um it, and but I didn't know anything about that while I actually lived there. So I'm very mad because I didn't get to go to any of the places that I now want to go back and go to. So I'll have to go back at some point. I, I, yes. loved, I loved it there. We had a great time, even though I said I hated it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I was born in Ireland and oh. I have a lot of um, I have a lot of family over in Europe. Oh, cool. Yes. Ireland, yeah. my, my like part of my family is from Ireland. And so, yeah, we have gone to Dublin a few times and it's beautiful cool. there. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been back since I'm um, like an age where my brain can remember yeah. it. <laughs> but I remember that there was like this little dog that I took like a nap with on his like little cushion. It was like one of those Irish dogs. And yeah. then yeah. I just remember green and rain. <laughs> There's a lot of rain there. It rains a lot. Yeah. Yes. And I frequently am like, whenever it's kind of like raining and not mm. like super cold, but just like a little chilly. And then I'm like, oh, it feels like London. Okay. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm at home. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, somebody in chat said that you were with uh, hanging up the flag and everything that you were going to start another revolutionary war. Yeah. I yes, I was going to. My friends were going to come and fight me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then um, there's some talk about how you're a lot like your brother with like speaking with your hands and like your upbeat cadence and everything. Yes. Well, it's funny because my brother and I are eight years apart. I'm eight years older. And um, in a lot of ways, we grew up in different families. Like, I mean, it's the same mm -hmm. thing, but like, you know, things change. Yes. I, yes years. And so in a lot of ways, like we grew up in sort of very different circumstances, but I think we are, we are still very similar. <laughs> I think that's like very much like the nature and nurture part of things. Yes. For yeah. sure. We are definitely brother and sister. We are definitely related. <laughs> Oh, so what was the process of converting to your Episcopalian faith like? Um, well, uh, fairly easy. Uh, I mean, I think so. Episcopalianism was kind of 
where we all kind of were at that point. Like, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, the caveat here is that like the Episcopal church has kind of become very woke and I, you know, don't, it's, it's the church I was baptized in and I mm -hmm. guess sort of still what I am, but I, I am frustrated with it at this point. But at the time, you know, that's kind of where my family had kind of ended up and mm -hmm. the kind of church that they went to. And again, this, this other family that like we had, I had known since yeah. toddlerhood. And um, so it, I think it was sort of, it was a fairly kind of seamless transition. Like I just sort of, once I had that realization, like after mm -hmm. the miscarriage and everything, I just kind of, I started going to church. Um, and I, there was a lovely church in my neighborhood that, you know, at the time was very, very wonderful and welcoming. And I, I just kind of started going and it, that was a little scary because I didn't really yeah. know what to expect or what, what was going on. And I, you know, I'm also, I have like social anxiety. So I was kind of like, Same. Oh, like, you know, here are these people that all know each other and I'm going to go. But I mean, one of the wonderful things about churches that like, you're supposed to kind of welcome new people. So I, yeah, I started to go and I, um, you know, and sort of started to get involved. And I, I was, I mean, I still feel like I don't know everything, mm -hmm. you know, I still don't know yeah. all of the, the rules and all of the right words and all of the different things that I was supposed to know. At the time, I kind of felt very much that way. And I, I remember one time when I was being asked to kind of carry the, you know, like the communion wine and the mm -hmm. whatever, it, I think I was carrying the wine, like up to the front. And I said to the, the usher, I was like, well, I'm not baptized. Is that okay? Like, I didn't know like what it was. Yeah. Okay. And he was like, it's fine. You're not like drinking it. Like, you know, I was like, okay. Um, you know, so, and then, and, and I think then I, then I kind of decided like, okay, I, this is what I want to do. And so then I kind of met with that priest and we kind of mm -hmm. had a whole, you know, thing where he sort of taught me what I, or like, you know, asked me to make sure mm -hmm. like, do I believe in these certain things and you know do I accept Jesus and all you know all the things that are like yeah. pretty much baseline for just you know joining the faith yeah. and um it turned out I did so that was good and That's then good. <laughs> um yeah and then I I was baptized in a private ceremony with just that priest and my family like my my um my parents and my brother mm -hmm. my brother is my sponsor which is kind of like my godparent except oh, okay. I'm not a child so I get to have a sponsor instead of so I like to say that so Spencer is my sponsor which is very fun to say and um yes it yes. is he is my essentially my godfather but that's weird because he's also my brother so he's my sponsor and um and my kid was there my kid was like three at the time Aww. and husband um and so yeah and then and then I was baptized and kind of kept kept going along. It's a kind of interesting thing. So my my husband is not religious mm -hmm. at all. So I and and we are raising our kids to also to choose. Um, and so it's kind of a it's sometimes a sort of lonely journey in the sense mm -hmm. that if I go to church, I go by myself. Um, when yeah. I go to church, I go by myself. And um, you know, so that's that's been tricky, but generally. Uh, it's been good. <laughs> the whole thing well, is good. good. <laughs> yeah. Did you have to just out of your curiosity? Because one of you might recognize this. One of my best friends is an Anglican. Um, she sent that to me for my birthday. But um, did you have to go through like taking any classes or anything? Because I knew that she's kind of been going through the process of converting to Anglicanism, and where she has to take a lot of like different classes to like learn about the different 
stuff? Yeah, I didn't actually, because I think I was sort of having this private, this private baptism with this family friend. And so I, I sort of had to meet with him several times and kind of learn, learn what I needed to know and, and make sure that I really wanted to do this and that I believed. And yeah, I had kind of explored baptism at the church that I was going to. Mm -hmm. And that process, I would have had to go to a formal class because, um, that is how they did that. Yeah. But, um, I ended up kind of souring on that church and that experience was part of it. They kind of, they kind of were like, yeah, we want to baptize you. And then like, didn't, didn't like, didn't help me. And, and whatever. Mm-hmm. that was kind of, I was kind of like, don't you want, you should want me to yeah. do this. Like that. And if you don't, then I don't want to do it with you. Um, and so super valid. Yeah. Thanks. So I, I sort of went back and found the family friend. Um, and so I didn't, I guess it was the same thing in the sense that it was, I was learning from him, but I didn't have to go to a formal class. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Cause I know they're different, like they're different, but there's also a lot of like crossover. It seems I'm neither an Anglican or Episcopalian and kind of some Protestant something. Yes. Well, the funny, so the reason I said we might come back to Mm -hmm. Henry VIII is because another reason why I was sort of drawn to this church, which is very silly and nerdy, but you know, God works in mysterious ways. Um, I love nerdy things. Yes. I, I got into Tudor history. So Henry VIII Mm -hmm. and his wives is the dynasty of the Tudors. And it was under the reign of Henry VIII that the church split from Catholicism oh, okay. mm-hmm. and beca- and England adopted the, the Church of England, which is the mm-hmm. Anglican church. So, and Episcopalianism is sort of like offshoot of that in the sense that it's not in England, um, but it is essentially the same as far okay. as I it. So is like Episcopalian, like the kind of like Americanized? I think it's like the, the world version. Oh, okay. I, I, okay. Like now I don't know what I'm talking about exactly because I don't know too much about Church of England at this point, um, but it, it's thing. It's a, essentially it's like the the church that happened during the Reformation because mm-hmm. they they were breaking from the Catholic Church, yeah. And, you know, forming this new church, and in England that happened under the Henry under Henry the Eighth because he wanted to divorce his wife um, Catherine of Aragon and marry the newer model Anne Boleyn. <laughs> and, I mean, um, technically, like it's less messier than like beheading them. Um, yeah, well, he did that too. So yeah, I know. Fortunately, <laughs> was like checking off all the ways that one could get rid of one's wife. Um, but at first, yeah, he just decided to like tear the entire country apart um, and start a whole new church. But um, yeah, he gets a bad rap because like he was trying to like get rid of his wife and marry someone else. But like there were other actual religious reasons why <laughs> why they did that. But anyway, that is. That's the church, like the Anglican church. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And it's sort of, it's the same essential, essential thing as Episcopalianism. Okay, because I was like, re- I was like doing research and I was like trying to understand the difference. So I didn't like see something like, I don't like, they're, they're basically the same thing, right? Um, well, yeah, I mean, and I, again, like, I, mm. I'm like six years out of baptism. So yeah. I'm still learning as well. So like, you know, I, I yeah. definitely am not the definitive um answer on Episcopalian beliefs or at all. <laughs> I feel that. I think that um, sometime coming up, probably in 2024, I'll do like a Reformation episode because that's something that's like super interesting to me, yes. but I'm going to need time to like really like dig into it. Yes. Well, yeah. let's check in because I love, um, I love that 
time period as as well and it was it's super fascinating yeah I love history my house it's better when my husband explains it to me, like, when it comes to history, because I'm just like, okay, hold on, hold on. I got to focus. Like, can't get lost in your eyes. Tell me what happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, yes, exactly. But he's, like, so passionate, like, understands, like, all of the details. And I'm like, okay, thanks. That's amazing. No, because I, I hated history, like, in school, and I was terrible at it, and I couldn't understand my textbook. And then I read a really trashy novel called The Other Boleyn Girl by Philip Gregory, <laughs> and it's all about Anne Boleyn and her sister, um, Mary. And for some reason, I was just like, I wonder which of this is true. Like, I wonder what part of this is true and what part of it is not. I mean, it's like a terrible book. Like, it's, but I, for some reason, I but was. But it was also like super massive. Like, I remember super. that, like, on all the shelves of like borders. Oh, yeah. And that's like <laughs> aging as both. So I apologize. No, yeah. Well, no, that's okay. I'm, I own it at this point. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, yes, very, very popular book, but also very bad from a writing perspective but okay. but I, read it. <laughs> uh that's fine but for some reason it really grabbed me and then I kind of mm -hmm. read a, a history book about those the same sort of people yeah and, and I was just hooked then I was hooked and now I've read every single thing <laughs> okay cool I love intermediate fiction there used to be the series um about I'll tell you what the name of it is later just because it literally doxes me but okay. well, great. <laughs> it was all about like the neighborhood I grew up in ah, so yes. okay. it was really really cool. That is cool um so when it comes you know to like the day-to-day -day of walking your faith what does that look like for you that's such a good question it's a tricky one right now because the truth is that during the pandemic, that mm -hmm. church that I was going to and I parted ways. Um, and it has been very hard for me to find another church that I can go to that yes. isn't preaching something that I find sort of abhorrent to be preaching. I really believe that you shouldn't preach politics from the pulpit, um, yes. any side. Like, even if I agree with you politically, I don't want to hear that from, from the person standing in the pulpit giving exact it feels crass for something like i can't put oh. my finger on it because i'm new to this stuff but it just it feels crass well i just think it's like, like it, it alienates people yeah for no reason and it's it's i don't know i guess to my mind it's sort of worldly like it's not it's not what we're supposed to be thinking about when we're in church we're supposed to be kind of above those things and into yeah. the big kind of universal things and um and here i, I live in new york and here everything is very, very woke and, and very yeah. sort of anti anything that doesn't check all of the kind of liberal, liberal, liberal boxes. And so for me at this point, you know, what it means to kind of walk in my faith is very tricky. So I, you know, I, I read my Bible every day. I oh. try to, I, I pray every day. Um, I have, Sort of certain times in in the day when I try to pray and and, and different ways and kind of meditate on different things and then mm -hmm. I I kind of I don't know what this is called like church shopping like then I sort of try to go to different churches and try to find one that works for me but I'm yeah. really struggling with that just totally to be totally honest I'm really struggling with that at the moment um, I think because because I am drawn generally to the mm -hmm. sort of Episcopal uh, liturgy and and the way that an Episcopal service goes mm -hmm. I'm seeking that but that at least here in New York is incredibly yeah. political and I don't want that and so um 
you know, I think there are other churches I could go to that would be less political, but not really my style in terms of what's going on during the church service, um, just for me personally. So I think, yeah, I mean, that question is sort of tricky for me at the moment, but it's something I'm kind of like working on at this point. Um, And because of, as a fellow East Coaster, I totally feel you on that. Yeah. Like so much as far as like, the closest thing to a church service that we've kind of been doing lately as a family is he's probably gonna make fun of me later for saying this but um I have some friends in Hawkeye we have mutual friends there and they do these amazing Hawkeye bible studies where they get like drop it yeah yeah where they like get beyond the fluff and they actually dive like deep into the word and talk about it and what that means for like the time period that we're living in and like all like it's amazing Absolutely, well, I should try that because I, I do think like, yeah, I, I think the thing that is missing for me right now is the sort of the, the community, like in, yeah. in community and, you know, and, you know, Jesus says like, you know, whenever, you know, one or two are gathered, two or three are gathered together, yeah. that's a church, but it's like, I, I'm only one. So that doesn't count. So I need, you yeah. know, I need to, um, that's something that I'm really sort of seeking right now is like that community aspect. So I'll have to drop in on the Bible study. Yeah, they're they're really really awesome. Um, I'm pretty sure that Conspiracy Pill is currently in the book of Ezekiel, and then I believe that Quark's creation is in the book of Genesis. Ooh, Y'all okay. are in the chat. Correct me if I'm wrong. Thank you. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> tell us what. Tell us what to do. What are we reading? Um, and then there's like this whole like Discord like community where even though it's not in person, it's still like, how many times do we like? know people that live like right across the street practically that we don't get to like see in our daily lives or like our weekly lives just because we're so busy so so true it's been really great with that um so how does your family's spiritual journey interplay with yours when it comes to walking with god together Ooh, that's a good question like my family of origin right like my parents and okay yeah Um, well i think at this point a good question i mean i don't i don't really know the answer to that i feel like we when i am home when i go home mm-hmm. then we go to church together and when i i mean it's it's interesting because i don't my current family like my husband and my mm-hmm. kids like yeah we, that we aren't religious as a family so mm-hmm. like you know at table like we don't say grace or you know that kind of thing where even mm-hmm. though like i'm my to myself but i you know that's not all of those rituals are not part of our life and yeah so when I go home, time to like build too yeah but also like you know that's not we're not raising our kids yeah. that way and so you know it may become something that they want to do and then you know because they know like mommy believes this and that and daddy believes mm-hmm. that so you know they may decide that they want to do this um and then that might happen but I guess so when I go home um then all of those things do happen and I mm-hmm that's a kind of interesting piece. And it's interesting because it's not something that happened as a child for me, right? Yeah. They came to faith as later when I was an adult. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of nice to sort of be in a, a family where that is happening or like, we'll go to church or, you know, we'll pray or whatever. But I think, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's not like a huge 
I don't I don't think there's like a huge kind of connection between like their faith journey and and my faith journey except in the fact that my brother is is my sponsor which means which is like like in this yeah if I have if I'm struggling with something and I don't you know I'm I'm confused about something that has that's spiritual or I'm struggling Mm -hmm. then I go to him not only because I love him and he's my brother and he's very very smart and I know he's going to know the answer but also because like that's that's our relationship now like that's his job is to like answer okay that makes sense if I have that so that's one way that we're kind of connected about that okay I traditionally go to like your brother's like archives of his podcast to solve my own life things too same same thing (laughs) yeah he seems like he's a really really sweet guy I haven't haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet but he's fantastic and so so much smarter than me and like I don't even understand half of the things that he knows but we we didn't get along very well growing up because I was really obnoxious to him because when you're when your eight years younger brother is smarter than you like it's yeah hard to handle but now we love each other very much and we get along really well. That's awesome. I can definitely see how that would be a bit jerky. Oh yeah, that was interesting, <laughs> but but we're good now. So when it comes to explaining, you know, to your children, how like mommy explains this and daddy explains, mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, mommy believes this and daddy believes that. Right. How do you go about doing that? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, um, it really is kind of that. And mostly it comes up. So I don't talk too much about my kids here in, mm-hmm. in public. So I will just okay, totally valid. I say mm-hmm. not what they <laughs> might say in return. Um, mm-hmm. So I it's kind of that, like if, you know, sometimes I'll pray in front of them or, you know, or like, you know, sometimes if something scary has happened mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, thank God, like, thank you God, you know, like, or whatever, like, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. Or like, you know, when I, you know, when it's bedtime, I might say a prayer over them or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so they kind of hear those things. And, and, you know, when I'm going to church, they have the option to come with me or not come with me. And then we can talk about those things. And, you know, and we have a, a children's Bible that they read, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, yeah, like I, if they have a question, mm-hmm. then, then I just say, well, like, for example, if they're like, you know, if they were to say, is there God, you know, I would say, well, I believe that there is, and I would sort of talk about, mm-hmm. you know, why I think that and, and the Bible and, you know, and yeah. answers. And then I would say, you know, but dad, my, daddy might think something else. So you, you can ask him. Um, I try not to speak for my husband and, um, you know, and, and I think I, I feel okay with that. I mean, I think there's, sometimes I feel sort of sad that we don't all get to sort of ex- participate that in, in yeah. this together, you know, there's that lonely yeah. piece, but I, but mostly I feel like I feel really good about the fact that I get, as we were talking about before, that I got mm-hmm. to come to this on my own and yeah. to really kind of know that I believe this for sure. And I, I feel, I feel okay and happy with the fact that like, that my kids are going to have the same journey and hopefully they find their way. And if they don't know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest things that my grandfather was a massive proponent of was free will. And I saw that in all of the touchstones of his life, even though he was very, 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 very much an Irish Catholic. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I can definitely, you know, see the importance of that. And that made me feel so much safer to explore religion on my own, too. Yeah. Just knowing that, like, that love was there and that that understanding was there. And yeah. it's really great that your kids are going to have that love and support, no matter, you know, which 
denomination or which way they decide things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I feel I feel okay about that. Now, how did your mother, Ellen, impact the way you approach motherhood? Oh, my goodness. Well, again, here's another person that is very private and therefore I don't talk too much specifically okay. about her because I don't think that she would want that want that and you know it's her business but yes absolutely but I was raised by a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. um and that has impacted me impacted me hugely um both in sort of knowing that that's what I wanted to do and that it was fine to do that and that that it was worthwhile to do that but also I reaped the benefits of having a stay-at-home mom of which there are many you know you know there was always somebody there there was if I was sick there was someone who could take care of me you know someone she Mm -hmm. knew like you know (laughs) what homework was happening and you know helped with playdates and you know she was there and she really knew um you know and and she's a really amazing just kind of homemaker you know Mm -hmm. like the the house was beautiful and and the food was on the table and you know at christmas time the decorations were you know impeccable and and still um you know so i i feel like i learned everything about motherhood from my mother i think that there's nothing that I didn't learn. And I still, you know, I'm still kind of like, oh, this is happening with this, my kid. Like, what is this? What does this mean? You know, and she's yeah. like, talking me through it. It's okay. You know, like I, this is what I think you should do. So um, it's a, totally like an invaluable experience. She sounds like such an ultimate blessing. Oh yeah. I have the best mom. Sorry. <laughs> Moms are really, really awesome. Yes, they are. <laughs> Shout out to all the moms in chat here tonight. Yes, all the moms. Time. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions that I did have before we got into talking about Christmas Carol, which I am... Wait, how many chapters are in that book? I think 12, maybe. Something. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm almost there. Okay. Or no, no, sorry. 12 is totally wrong. Like 20 or something like that. Okay. So I'm about halfway there. Yeah. 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 And I can't wait to, you know, dive into and get into it more. Um, It's the perfect season for it. You were right. It really is. Now it's the Christmas season. So you're all set. Just so everybody in chat knows, the link is in the description below. I highly recommend it. I myself got the audiobook because we're going to be doing a lot of traveling. I love the narrator. She does such a wonderful job. It's beautiful at every touchstone, and you guys should definitely grab yourself a copy. And I mean, gift giving hack, grab yourself at least two, one for yourself, one for somebody in your life that has good taste, you know. And and secret thing that you're going to hear first and nowhere else until later this week. If you want me to sign the book, like I can't sign the physical book, but I can sign like a sticker that goes in the book. And it's all up there on my website hiding right now, but it's not hiding. You just have to go find it. You just go to my website, which is faithkmore.com. And there's all- Which is also linked. Good. Well done. Thank you. So yeah, just go there and it's there and you can, um, it's already there. It's technically like for the month of December, but because it's about gifts, but you can give yourself a gift too. So anyway, if you go on there, it's got all the information to get you one of those. So do that. That'll be super fun. Yeah, which is, I mean, like, that's, that's amazing. Like, that's, yeah, that makes thing. a good gift, right? You can, like, give them yeah. this book, which is great for Christmas, but also it can be signed by the author. So, yeah, that's incredible. And then if you need to have a handmade component in it, you can just, like, make a little bookmark, do a little embroidery, and then boom, there you go. There you All go. 
perfect. It's a good, it's the perfect gift. Great. Everyone go out and get it right now. <laughs> yes, you really should. Like it's, it's honestly amazing. Sometimes I have trouble like following like with audiobooks because I'm, I'm very much like a tangible in my hand kind of girl. And yeah. I'm definitely going to be getting both. It's on my, like the physical copies on yeah. my Christmas list, oh, but I, I, I couldn't wait. So, um, yeah. So you guys definitely should go out and grab it because like, it's just, it's really awesome. And I'm not just telling you this because like, oh my goodness, Faith Moore's right there. I'm, I'm right here. I'm right <laughs> She's here. Yeah, like you right can't there. tell me if you hate it right now, but um, yeah, you can discuss that later. <laughs> oh. Speaking of other books that I absolutely adored, um, I loved Saving Cinderella, What Feminists Get Wrong, but Disney Princesses and How to Set It Right. I particularly appreciated how you showed how Cinderella was an allegory about Jesus. Mm, yeah. Could you give us, for those of us who, it's been a little while since we've read it, or we haven't, I think her phone died. Hang tight real quick, guys. I think her phone might have died. Okay, guys, so I think her phone did die, but he's back. I'm back, okay. I'm back. Sorry about that. Okay. Um. I an alarm went off in my phone ah. um, and it stopped everything. Sorry about that. Okay. It's all good. It happens. I'm just glad you're back. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very glad to be back. Okay. Um, Cinderella, Jesus. That's what we're yes. talking about. Yes. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. I, so Cinderella, the Disney movie. I, I don't know that the Cinderella actual fairy tale of which there are many, many versions. In fact, every culture on earth has some version of a Cinderella story. So to be clear, I was talking about just the, the Disney version of Cinderella. Um, but I, I'm kind of, I think I'm the only person that has at least written about this when I, at least at the time, I wrote the book in 2018 and I, I kind of watched the movie again to write the chapter and it became very clear to me. And then I went on the internet and tried to find, there must be millions of articles about this and I didn't yeah. find a single one. So I, it might just be my crazy, my own crazy theory, but um, I- I can see it though. Like it made, like when I read it, it made perfect sense. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I'm, I have to admit, I'm, I'm quite far away from having written that book at this point. So I can't, I can't take you through moment by moment, each mm -hmm. sort of reason why um, it is related, but you should definitely, everybody should just go and read the book uh, and find that chapter. I think it's chapter two. There it is. Yes. So, but it's definitely there. And there are all kinds of other little sort of hints there. Like the cat's name is Lucifer and he gets kind of expelled at the uh, sort of pivotal moment of Cinderella's kind of uh, immersion as like, not immersion, but as she emerges um, yeah. as her true self. Um, and there are all these moments, like the moment, you know, where she's in D deep despair, you know, in the same way of sort of Jesus on the cross. And again, mm -hmm. obviously it's, it's not, the same to be Cinderella as it is to be Jesus. But I definitely think that Walt Disney, who was a huge part of that, he was uh, part of the filmmaking process in that film and was a Christian himself. I think that he was absolutely trying to kind of make a Christian allegory out of that movie, which is pretty cool. Yeah. 
I can definitely see how, you know, his faith influenced his career there. And if you guys haven't picked up that book yet, it's, it, okay, here's the thing. I'm just going to go full transparency here. I have read a lot of things by Faith Moore and I have never stumbled across one I didn't like. Oh, thank you. So. That's, yeah. thank you. Thank You're so. incredibly talented and brilliant and awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying so. That's lovely. Well, thank you. The gift with the world um so speaking of how faith is in you know influenced Walt Disney's career how do you think faith has influenced your career oh that's a good question I think I mean I, it's certainly something that I write about a lot I, I think so I guess to sort of transition into Christmas mm -hmm. Carol a little bit um I the funny thing about Dickens a Christmas Carol, which obviously this book is based on, um, mm -hmm. is that it is, it is a very religious, very Christian story that doesn't really mention God or Jesus that much. You know, there's a couple of mentions yeah. of, of God, and, and I think he goes to church at the end, and of course, Tiny Tim says, God blesses everyone at the end. Um, but in there are sort of these three spirits who are they what how do they fit into the whole thing you know what you know what is this kind of magical journey that he gets to go on is that in the bible you know what is this um yeah and but and yet it is a very very christian very spiritual story and that i think is the best kind of explanation for what i'm going for in my writing in that i don't want to preach to anybody I don't, I don't want to preach to anybody in my life and I don't want to preach to anybody in my writing. And I really hope that I'm not doing that because I tend to think, and I know this is probably gonna get me in some hot water, but like, I tend to think in general, let's just put it generally, that if you tell someone, you know, this is what you have to believe, they're probably going to run away and they're probably not going to believe in it or care. And I can and confirm I, as an extra Jehovah's Witness who used to bother y'all on Saturday mornings. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, and, and I also think that like, as we were talking about before, like in my journey and with my kids and everything, like I, I think people should be allowed to make their own choices. And that what I believe is not necessarily the thing that you have to believe. So in terms of my writing, it's more that I try to kind of imbue the world that I'm creating with a sense of that there is, you know, there is God and that there is kind of spirituality and that people mm -hmm. have souls and, and all of those things. And, you know, in, in this book, in Christmas Carol, there's, there is definitely a kind of undercurrent of, yeah. of religion and church is there and, you know, all of these pieces, but it's very subtle. And even, I mean, no spoilers, but like, even at the end, like, it's, it's not like, and I, you know, I become a Christian, praise the Lord. Like, it's, you know, it's not yeah. that. Um, and so I think it's, it's a much more sort of understated, just sort of general worldview um, mm -hmm. that I try to bring to my writing rather than any kind of message or mission that I'm trying to convey. I think the subtlety of the way you go about art is so, I think it really enhances the message as opposed to detracting from the message because not everybody who's going to, you know, read this tremendous book is going to have the same kind of precise worldview, but there's still lessons that you can very much take away from the book, even if you don't, you know, aren't the same denomination, like even if you're not Episcopalian or Anglican or all sorts of different things like that. And I think 
that sometimes with having to like front load all of this stuff when it comes to religion that we miss out on getting to share things that enhance other people's lives because they feel like they have to be a Christian, do all of these things before they can benefit from like the kind of side effects of things. And sometimes the side effects of things, at least in like my case, is what can help you realize that, oh, hey, I benefited with like when I did this and who does this kind of stuff? Oh, all of these wonderful people that like have helped me along the way. I should probably check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would even take a further step back, which is that I'm not, I'm not, trying to to do that like i think if that happens like if somebody reads this book and they think like hmm, that's an interesting way of thinking about the world then great like hooray that's awesome but like i i really believe that anybody who's writing fiction mm-hmm. who sets out with a message instead of a story is not going to write a very good book like i think that if you're sort of if if you're writing a story because what you want to say to the world is um, believe in Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, if you want to say, like, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like, that's a good message. Like, I, yeah. I think you could do that, but I don't think you're going to have a very good book on your hands, like a good novel on your hands. Yeah. If that's what you're trying to do. Similarly, you know, this, this book has a lot of themes about kind of working parents versus stay-at-home parents and, you know, prioritizing family over prioritizing work. But like, if I was, if I was, what I was trying to say is every mom should stay home with their kids. Like that would be a terrible book. I'm not trying to say that. And I, and those are things that you can say in a sentence. You can just say them and then you can have a conversation about that. But um, a a novel is not that a novel is a story and it might have themes in it and you might pull some message from it, but it's not necessarily what I was going for. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the sort of beautiful things about fiction is that once you know, I, I tell the story and then you guys get to talk about what it means. Yeah, that's something I've always really enjoyed. And I think no matter what book you're going through, whether you're going through, you know, popular fiction or whether you're going through the Bible or, you know, a common prayer book, it's all like different things speak to you in different seasons of your life. For sure. Absolutely. And I know, I mean, I know for a fact that this book is speaking to people in different ways. And I love that, yeah. you know, so. And people are seeing themselves in different characters, you know, and, and pieces of themselves in different parts of the story. And I, I love that. And I think that's exactly what's supposed to happen. So what would you like most, um, sorry, what would you most like readers to take away from Christmas Carol? Ooh, that's a hard question because of what we we're just talking about, because I think different people are going to take different things. And I certainly don't you know, I could have a whole bunch of talking points. Like, you know, I hope that people um, kind of recalibrate or rethink their own relationship with their kids or with their husband and their family and, and maybe, but, but really, I just hope that people are immersed in the story. I hope that it is a, a complete world, a complete microcosm that when you're reading it, you feel like you're really in it and that these people, and I hope that these people and these characters feel real to you and in a way that, you know, characters in a good book really feel. So that's, that's really all I hope that people get out of it. I hope that they enjoy kind of living inside of my world that I created for however long it takes to read the book. One thing I've noticed about myself when it comes to reading your works is that I read slower 
But it's mm. because like I'm rereading like sentences and like thinking about them and thinking about them and then like reading the next sentence and like moving on with it. Where it takes because of the quality, it honestly takes me longer because I'm like, ooh, I love that. I need to remember that. And then I like read something three times. <laughs> Thank you. This is fantastic. Keep talking. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I, this is, that's great. I love that. <laughs> So let me know in chat if anybody else feels the same way or if they feel that with, you know, any other author. Um, now, quick question about this, and then we'll get back into talking about Christmas Carol. Um, what's your favorite drink to, what's your favorite beverage to drink while writing? Oh, tea. Um, 100% tea. Uh, all the time. Um, in fact, I have what I've realized is kind of a ritual. I didn't, um, I didn't mean it to be a ritual, but... Um, <laughs> Because I write when my toddler is napping, that's my main mm -hmm. writing time. I have to mm -hmm. switch gears very quickly from um, mom mode to writer mode because I only have a certain amount of time, like a, about an hour of time. Um, and so I have a little teapot that's like a one person teapot um, and mm -hmm. a little teacup in a saucer. And um, I make tea. I like... Uh, I like black tea, like English breakfast. I have mm -hmm. the one that I drink most now is a, I think it's Tetley's. It's called British Blend. Oh, um, that's so good. It's like one of the only black, so like directly black yeah. teas I like. Yes, it is so good. Yeah. Um, I take lots of milk, which is slightly embarrassing and a little bit of sugar. Um, and I, I love it. I'm really a tea fan. <laughs> Tetley teas are so good. They're the drink. There's like the teas that got me into drinking teas because- yeah. Yeah. One of my papa's nurses, she went to London and she brought it back for us. And that's when we like fell in love with it. <laughs> yes. Well, I, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to have grown up in London and not come back with a sort of tea habit. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely, and I love a good afternoon tea. I always um, try to either go to afternoon tea or make afternoon tea as often as I possibly can. I went to afternoon tea once um, at this amazing like little boutique place where... It, like it was so cute it was kind of in the middle of like suburban nowhere but uh -huh. it was it. amazing I felt like a princess with my best friend when like the five of us all went it oh, was so it's great so good. I'm yeah I I make it for like special occasions it's actually what we <laughs> we eat at, at Christmas um for Christmas dinner we have afternoon mm -hmm. tea instead oh, um because that's amazing yeah, we eat just with our family and, and then we go to my family and that's when we have like a normal Christmas dinner. But mm -hmm. on Christmas, we we eat afternoon tea and we all love it. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. sounds like perfect so that you're not like stuffing yourself before you're going to like all the different exactly. places. Yes, exactly. Although we have been known to stuff ourselves on afternoon tea as well. Because I mean, like valid. It's delicious. <laughs> delicious. So good. Yeah. Even though I like tea, I am a bit more of a coffee girl. And that's why I know my chat is as well. Um, I wanted you guys in chat to know that since today's Giving Tuesday, North Arrow is actually donating 30% off to And Then There Were None Ministries, which provides financial, emotional, and legal support to anyone wishing to leave the abortion industry. And if you use code based babe, you can get 10% off. So all that information is down in the description below. That is an excellent reason to drink coffee. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, everyone should do that. Rob does some great work. The coffee is really good. And he has like, he actually has like all these like fun, different flavors. That's great. I'll have to, I'll have to check it out and, and give it as some gifts. That sounds good. I'm not a super big coffee drinker, but I definitely know people who would want that coffee. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Plus, he's, like, really nice. He's um, currently in school. I think he's getting his, like, master's or something to become a, um, a pa- like, a some type of pastor thing. It Great. Currently That's blanking. awesome. But, yeah. Awesome, dude. Solid product, solid guy. <laughs> Very cool. Now, there was some discussion in here in chat um, earlier, but could you tell us the significance of the imagery on Christmas Carol's cover? And also, who made that? Because a lot of people in chat, myself included, like, love it. Okay, yeah. So I'm not sure how much I can explain about it because I have I can take no credit at all. So the book is, is published by The Daily Wire, and The Daily Wire mm-hmm. has a... Uh, artistic department that okay. makes sense. the cover. So it was made by people at the Daily Wire. I don't know. Sadly, I don't know their specific names, but um, they are fantastic over there. They do amazing artwork. They, they, I've seen other things that they've done, and it's great. They're great. Um, so that is who made it. They, they did everything about the book. I mean, the book has mm-hmm. like, it has like red edges, right? And it, oh, that's so yeah, cool. No, the pages are like edged in red. Um, nice. They, I love edged pages. I have like a weird thing about them. Oh, that's <laughs> it. All the typesetting. There's like all this artwork in the book. Um, like like the title page. There's all this stuff in the book, and they did all of that. Um, nice. So I I think so. I actually don't. I don't. I I don't was not there in the meeting. Like when they decided what to put on the cover. Mm-hmm. But my sense is it's sort of like Christmas future present mm-hmm. and past is is kind of what's going on I, I know that they were what they were going for was the kind of a, a sort of line from between mm-hmm. this and the Dickens and the kind of like spooky ghost sort of um experience that happens in both stories um mm-hmm. so it definitely is kind of the ghost side but for those who haven't read the book please know that it is also a kind of hallmarky Christmas like feel good experience <laughs> to read the book so it's not only there are ghosts but it's not only ghosts it's also lots of christmas trees and christmas things so and don't worry yeah. guys it's not like super de duper scary i mean i've gotten to like halfway through the book but i was the girl when pirates of the caribbean came out when i was seven like the first one with johnny Depp. Yep. i saw the skeletons and i could not sleep for like a week <laughs> that is very frightening yes i completely that is totally normal i would also have been that scared i i think much older than you and was not a child so I was like but I also was scared so yeah it it's not scary so that that is yeah but in a great way but um the book is not particularly scary yeah it's perfect it's very like a chef's kiss kind of feel it's it's like the importance and the heaviness and the intensity of what really matters but also at the same time too it's not like oh you're gonna like you know, if you read the book and like kind of have a like reading before bed ritual, you're not gonna like fall asleep and then like wake up going, oh, Faith more the ghosts are gonna get me. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, <laughs> I, I really, I really hope that that's not gonna happen. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going for spooky actually. I was going for kind of like heartfelt nostalgia. Yeah, kind of feel. Yeah. <laughs> there were some people who were like a little bit nervous, so I just like wanted to make sure we. Yes. No. I. I agree. I mean, I've been kind of saying this all along, which is that like the cover is beautiful and very arresting and, and it mm-hmm. um, I did a fantastic job. And when I saw it for the first time, I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Um, and so amazing cover. But if you're somebody that's like, doesn't want to read a scary story. And so this is freaking you out. Please know that it's not a scary story. It's, it's yeah. much, it's much more like a feel good, like Hallmark movie kind of story. Yeah. It's the kind of book that you like, get your, like, 
cup of tea or a cup of cocoa and like wrap a little Christmas blanket around yourself and like just dive right into. Yes, it is like super, super Christmassy. And yeah, that's really, uh, that's what I was, I was just trying to pack as much Christmas into it as I possibly could. So yeah. I feel like I'm going to read this every single year. I That's amazing. I hope you do. People have been telling me that, that they're going to read it every year. And that just makes, it makes me so happy. It's like, um, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. So one of the questions was, if Christmas Carol were to be made into a movie, which I mean, let's be honest, a studio is missing out on it. If it doesn't get turned into like an exquisite Christmas film, who would you love to see cast in various roles? Oh my gosh, that is so hard. And I actually have been thinking about that because people keep saying it would make a good movie. And I, I agree. Like, I, even when I was writing, I was thinking, hey, this would be a good movie. Um, oh, I really don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Like, I don't even know who the actors are now. Like, I feel yeah, like, I, like all the actors are old, you know? Yeah, it feels like there's, like, the old set that I, like, grew up with. And then there's, like, yes. these random little itty-bitty babies who are, like, 12 and I don't know who they are. I totally agree. And I, so I really... I think I'm too close to it to have to be able to answer that question because like in my so mind real people and which is a little insane but they are <clears throat> sorry and um so well you did I, such world building I can totally see how they are real people because they feel like real people when like you step outside of the book and then you go back into it you're like oh wait hold on what's going on with them I need to know like you, you're thinking about like texting a friend or something Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And and it's for me, it's sort of like when I was writing them, they felt very real. So when it was over, I was kind of sad. Like I miss them. I miss yeah. I miss Bo in particular, Carol's husband. He was my favorite and I, I miss him. <laughs> yeah. He he reminds me a lot of my husband in certain ways. That's so and nice. Your husband's lovely. <laughs> he is. He's my best friend, my number one obsession in this world. Like the thing I would yeah. both kill and die for. He's tremendous. Amazing. Okay. Like, (laughs) and so, yeah, that's why I'm like, especially, um, like really enjoying like the journey so far with the book and everything. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for putting this gift out into the world for all of us. Oh, it was my pleasure for real. (laughs) Yeah. So what was the hardest part about writing this book? And then what was the easiest? Okay, good question. So I think, I think the hardest part was just making sure that I was doing the Dickens story justice. I didn't want to say that this was a retelling of A Christmas Carol and then like completely go off on some weird tangent that had nothing to yeah. do with the story because this is a beloved story that I love and I know millions of people in the world love. And so I didn't want to like just crumple it up in a ball and throw it away. And so yeah. I think that was sort of hard on the front end. Like I did a lot of planning work. Like I sort of outlined, mm-hmm. I reread the book, A Christmas Carol, and then I outlined it for myself. And then I outlined my own story in kind of like a weird spreadsheet where like all the emotional beats of this were here and mine kind of had to match up. And so I did that. Mm-hmm. And then I did that with the characters. Like here are all of Dickens's characters. Here are all the characters that I'm going to relate to those characters mm-hmm. and how are they connected? So. That I think was the the hardest part going into it was kind of like, am I going to do this story justice? But I might, mm-hmm. but but make it my own in some way. And how am I going to do that? Um, yeah. But so that was hard. But but actually, it then made it kind of easy. I I often struggle with plot, so mm-hmm. it it was nice <laughs> to have a plot that was kind of already made, <laughs> which was mm-hmm. kind of cool. Um, and then I think the easiest part. I don't, I think it was just, just writing it. Like I, mm-hmm. 
I, it's almost not like work. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that exactly because it is work. And I think that mm -hmm. some people who want to write kind of don't see that and they kind of have all these great ideas and then they don't actually sit down and put the time in. Yeah. And so absolutely have to sit down and put the time in. But for me, you know, once I was doing that, I keep saying it's kind of like, it's kind of like being a Victorian medium, you know, mm -hmm. like, like at a seance, sort of like these, these characters mm -hmm. are kind of speaking through you, which sounds very woo woo. And I'm not particularly woo woo about writing. I feel like, no, but like, I, I can it, see but, it, but it is kind of like these people, like these are people, but I, I don't know them in real life. So, I mean, that yeah. was just sort of joyful. And I was also, I was so, the, the process was so much more joyful because I, the, I was able to sell it to the Daily Wire before I had written it, which nice. was such a beautiful and amazing. I'm so grateful yeah. to them that they kind of took a chance, like, yes, okay, we want this story. And then to write something that I knew was going to see the light of day, you know, I've written a lot of novels that didn't see the light mm -hmm. of day. And so to know, like, as I was writing that this was going to get out there in the world in some way was just so joyful because it's something that I am going to do anyway. I, I yeah. have to write to write um mm -hmm. and so to be able to write sort of knowing like oh people are gonna read this this is great like and i'm not gonna have to put it in yeah. my best drawer and forget about it um i think so i think that that made it easy it made it sort of mm -hmm. really fun and exciting to just write every day that's really really awesome i oftentimes struggle with plot because the thing that i'm currently working on which M many interviewers in the past have asked me if I'm going to be inevitably working on is a autobiographical type of work. Great. So yeah. Fantastic. I feel Do like it. sometimes I'm like too close to it where it's like, I just think like, need to take like a break from like going down that memory road. Yes. It's yeah. hard. I think it's also like emotion. You're emotionally connected to it, not just because it's your story, but because it's your actual like life yeah. story. I think that that can be hard to do that's a tricky one but I definitely think you should do it that sounds amazing thank you um as far as Christmas Carol goes do any of those like I mean I know obviously like what the inspiration was and what the amazing you know final product is but do you, any of those things kind of mirror your own life in any way you, you mean like the story anything in the story yeah, anything in the story um, I think that the character in the story who's most like me is Fran Carol's sister um I don't want to give too many spoilers because I know that mm -hmm. not everybody has read or finished the book, but um, Carol, I guess we can say this. I mean, Carol is the Ebenezer Scrooge character mm -hmm. and she, and she's, she's a miser, not about money, which is what Scrooge is a miser about, but about time. So she's, she's yeah. not spending time with her family. She's kind of in this hard charging kind of girl boss mentality. Mm -hmm. And then her sister, Fran is kind of the opposite of that. She wants, um, you know, she wants a, a home and a husband and kids and, and, um, and is kind of bumping up against, I mean, she's bumping up against Carol, who for mm -hmm. a variety of reasons that I won't spoil is kind of telling her that she can't do that. But also she's kind of bumping up against the world, right? Because the world yeah. tells you that you're supposed to do what Carol does, which is kind of like get your degree yeah. and then get another degree and then, you know, get a career and then yeah. climb the career ladder and, you know, get to the top and then yeah. stay there in this kind of weird, hard charging way. And oh, and yep. <laughs> get married and have some kids along the way and but that's fine they'll go to daycare um you know yeah. and and that is kind of the current narrative that women are being sold and it's kind of a radical thing to step outside of that and say like oh, I don't 
don't think I want that. And again, like not everybody should or whatever. I have, I have nothing to say about what other people should do. But for me, like Mm -hmm. I never wanted that for myself. I always wanted, I wanted to write and I wanted to have a family. You know, I wanted to have a husband and home and kids. That's it. And I'm so blessed and lucky that and grateful that that's what I get to do with my life. Um, And so for me, I think it was it was friend. People keep asking me, like, so which part of Carol is you? And I feel like Mm -hmm. no part of Carol is me. um, But a lot of of Fran is me. And I think I think it's really that piece of the story that has Mm -hmm. to do with my own life, which is kind of like that way in which we're sort of channeled into this narrative. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like I went, I went a different direction. Yeah. And I think the story is kind of about is grappling with that. It's grappling with kind of what we're expected to do as women yeah. and what we maybe end up choosing to do instead. It hit very, very close to home because I kind of grew up with like the girl boss narrative, not having a lot of like matriarchal figures in my life. Girl boss yeah. a little too close to the sun during the pandemic, got diagnosed with two now three different autoimmune diseases and yeah yeah. and I'm still like maintaining on Dean's List in pretty much like my senior year of becoming like an HR person with like a double minor in psych and project management and I'm like I don't want to do that anymore but it's like it's I'm so close to the end that it's like okay like we'll figure it out yes yeah no I know and I like you know I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying anything about what they should do but also that I'm saying like you know and and if you did that that's wrong <laughs> you know like I, I'm not saying different things work all. for different people and different family structures completely and I you know I can tell people what I'm doing in my family but that's not right for everyone and I can tell you what's going on in this story um but yeah. that's not telling you what to do either exactly I mean different people have different priorities and different things work better for different families in different seasons like sometimes it might look the exact opposite and that's okay as long as you know you have the priorities that you're focusing on and you're locked in on them and you're taking care of them Yes. And I think that that's the kind of freedom of expression and like that kind of container of that I guess like mental exploration that you allow us to go on in this journey and that's something I really really appreciate good I'm glad I'm glad that that carries through thanks (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) I just invited you on here to compliment you (laughs) (laughs) oh so um yeah, there are a bunch more Twitter questions that, and there are some memes. But before we get into the Rumble section, everybody make sure you like and subscribe. If you want to come back next week, we have some exciting stuff um, to tell you at the end of this episode. So you'll definitely want to be subscribed to this channel. Um, but Faith, could you say a prayer to close this episode out? And then if you could stick around, we'll get to the Rumble section. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, I will, I will do my best here. Okay. Dear God. Thank you for this time that we've spent together. Thank you for this connection that we have made, all of us in this experience together over the last hour and however long it's been. Thank you for bringing those of us to you who found you late, later in life. And I pray that those who are seeking find you as well. And I pray that you answer the prayers that we don't always know to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
I feel like sometimes when like God is so good that he knows us so well as his creation that sometimes when our mouths are like saying one thing, you know, kind of going back to when we were talking about that original prayer for you, um, our hearts are saying something totally like different, like on a different page. And the fact that, you know, he answers the ones that are really going to be best for us is such a beautiful gift. Yeah. No, I pray that every day. I pray, please, Lord, answer the prayer. I don't know to pray because I know that I don't have the whole picture and he does. So I, it's like, you know, I'm asking for things or I'm, you know, I'm grateful for things, obviously, but I'm asking for things, but they might be the wrong thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's important. Yeah, it really is. And then um, my friend Annie tuning in from Australia says intercession <laughs> prayer through the Holy Spirit. Thank you from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. She's originally from here. She's, I, I adore her. She's awesome. <laughs> but I, I won't gush to you about that. Um, <laughs> okay. So we will be right back in the rumble section. Check in on the app formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> You, I wrote that this afternoon. I'm like, I need some type of intro for it. Uh, love that. I'm, I, I don't know. We all have that. The app formerly known as Twitter. Love it. And Annie from Australia says, welcome. Thank and then you. my husband well, says, all the way from a country that doesn't exist. Because there's Australia and Ohio for, you know, some reason. Oh, okay. Great. Well, I didn't know there was that animosity there, but I'm here for it. Yeah. So... <laughs> We have a bunch of really awesome questions. Thank you so much to chat. Thank you so much to those of you who submitted questions on Twitter who are going to be watching us back later. Thank you for watching and thank you for submitting your questions. So one of the questions is, what writer do you most admire and why? And that's from Oscar Progresso. Okay, great question. So two answers, I'll say one living and one dead. So the living author that I most, uh, what is what is it, admire? admire. That I most admire. Um, is Curtis Sittenfeld, who is a woman, even though her name is Curtis. And um, she has written several books that I just love. Uh, Eligible is the one that most relates to this because it's a modern. Oh my gosh. I've read that book. I love that book. I was obsessed with it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's a fantastic writer. I disagree with her completely on politics, but I don't care because she just as a writer, like if you're trying to write, in the genre that I'm trying to write in, mm-hmm. it's like a masterclass. I mean, she she writes in this, the voice that she writes in is like different for each book, but it's amazing. She also, she wrote this book called Rodham, which is about Hillary, it's a novel about if Hillary Clinton didn't marry Bill, which I Ooh. resisted reading for a long time because I don't care about mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton at all and don't yeah. really want to spend a bunch of time inside her head, but the voice, she gets her voice so right. And it's just, it's an amazing, if you're a writer, it's just amazing mm-hmm. to Read. So I love her. Um, and then as uh, a, a, a dead author is Charlotte Bronte, because my favorite book of all time is Jane Eyre. And um, I'm hoping in the new year to to do something that has to do with Jane Eyre. So if anybody is a Jane Eyre fan, please watch my space, whatever my space is. This Watch this space, because um, that, that book is just, again, a sort of like masterclass in like mm-hmm. emotion. And just like people's emotion and also like uh, infusing faith and spirituality into mm-hmm. a story but without banging you over the head with it is yeah. also 
So I'm going to go with those two. I love it when I dive deep into a book and then I come out the other side like forever changed because I understand more about myself and I understand more about the world at large. And that's one of the things that Saving Cinderella honestly really did for me. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's so lovely. Yes. Uh, Jane Eyre does that for me. Yeah. Uh, I've read it like 500 times and I own four copies of it, which is kind of excessive. But um <laughs> Well, if you ever, you know, need to do some like Marie Kondoing, like I'll send you my address. Um, great. Yes, I know. Well, they all have like significance to me. I can't get rid of them. Like I know, I know. I'm just using. No, I know, but I just I should get rid yeah. of them. But I... <laughs> yeah. I have certain books that like I always get to like chapter five and then life happens. Yeah. The, well, yeah. the thing is like I feel like at this point I'm not I'm just I'm too old to like read a book that I'm not really into so I'm I definitely yeah. endorse like stopping reading a book if it's not the thing that you want to be reading yeah. that one's been on my like own it need to read it for forever oh. now and I can't wait until like I graduate college because then I'll actually get to like read what I want to read like yeah even to like a more fuller extent yeah well wait if you're in school and you're reading stuff for school it's very hard to read anything else <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> now one of the questions was from Magaman, but I think you answered it um what was your inspiration behind Carol oh the character Carol um mm -hmm. it what it had to do with um what was going on during the pandemic I, I I've talked about this other places I won't go into it like super detailed but because mm -hmm. I know we're in the we're in the rapid fire question section of yeah. this, this episode but um basically it, it she came to me because I was watching all of the working parents come home during the pandemic mm. and try to parent and work and, and grapple with what it means to, you know, quote unquote, have it all when you can't really mm. have it all. And so that was kind of my inspiration for her. And I linked it to the Scrooge story because that story mm. is sort of really big in our family. We watch the movie every Christmas. Um, and so it, that that arc seemed like a good arc to put that character on um, and sort of have her figure that out. I can see that. And Alex, um, I know you're a Magman 28. If you read her Evie article um, that was just released this past month, she goes into it even more and she does a really great job of like explaining how all of those connections work. And that's a really great interview. So thank you. Thanks. Yes, that is out there. And um, pretty much I think any interview I've given at this point, probably I, I talk about the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this one is from someone in chat that has been waiting patiently for me to get to it. So thank you, Joaquin, for waiting. I appreciate you. In Saving Cinderella, how are you able to distinguish the literal from the symbolic elements in a story? Ooh, okay. Um, so this is an interesting question. So mm -hmm. I guess the, um, oh, hold on. I'm going to, while I'm talking to you, I'm going to mm -hmm. go into my computer because I think my phone's running out of batteries and I'm going to um, fine. I'm going to have to go away and come back in just a second. Okay. Um, no worries. I have some memes that we need to get to anyways. Okay, good. You can get to your memes. Hold on. I'm just going yeah, to no worries. do this now. Uh, okay. Actually, maybe let's do that. Let's do your, okay. let me, let's do your memes and I'm going to come right okay. back. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Okay, you're Sounds good. Okay. So we have some super awesome memes that I am excited to share with you guys. Thank you so much just for these. You are amazing. Brother, the Godfather has landed. I'm not going to attempt to do an Italian accent. It's never worked out well for me. <laughs> but that's an awesome meme. Um, America, 
fuck yeah. <laughs> Which, Faith should see this one. Hey, Faith, look at this meme. Wait, what am I looking at? Oh, wait, hold on. There's like a thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's like a notification above my face. That's creepy. Take that away. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. But yeah, that's. Okay. I'm here again. Sorry about that. Okay. No worries. It's okay. all good. Okay, so wait. Oh, wait, are we on memes or are we on me? Oh, We're on you. Okay, great. Um, what were, we were talking about were in talking? Saving Cinderella, how are you oh. able to distinguish the literal from the symbolic elements in a story? Right. Okay. So the background here is that um, the the sort of thesis of Saving Cinderella is that we have forgotten how to read fairy tales because fairy tales are not meant ever to be taken literally but that is what the kind of like woke feminist circle wants to do they want to be like ew like she kissed he kissed a dead lady and that's not okay because she couldn't consent or, or whatever um, yeah. and that's not true because those things are not supposed to be taken realistically they're supposed to be viewed symbolically um so i think a couple things one is i think that any story has a fair amount of kind of metaphor or symbolism inherent in it because a, a fictional narrative is not even the most realistic narrative mm -hmm. is not really something that could happen in real life because it's kind of like tied up with a pretty bow like it's kind of like encapsulated in this world of this story and so mm -hmm. even if even if it's not a story like christmas carol where supernatural things happen even if it's a very realistic story the author, if they're doing a good job, is kind of crafting a narrative that that works with certain themes or, you know, is going in a certain place. So you're always kind of taking a story with a little bit of the kind of symbolic, metaphorical kind of lens. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think that if you're in the realm of fairy tale, you're always in the realm of allegory and metaphor. So I think that's that's a sort of easy one. So in in Saving Cinderella, I was dealing with Disney princess movies, which are almost exclusively based on fairy tales. There are a few that are based on kind of weird historical things like Pocahontas or Mulan or whatever that are not really true, but are. And and in those cases, I I felt that the the Disney princess kind of entity Mm -hmm. lived within the fairy tale structure even when they were pulling in these other stories to to turn them into princesses um and because i felt that like when you call someone a fairy tale princess then you're within the realm of what it means symbolically to be a fairy tale princess so i mm -hmm. think you know if you're if you're asking like how do you know if something is an allegory or not i think well if it's a fairy tale then it is um and also i think <laughs> If it's a story that's kind of, this is strange, but like if it's a story that's kind of weird, like like it's not, weird stuff is happening. Animals are talking, people are, magic is happening. You know, mm -hmm. you're probably dealing with some amount of metaphor or symbolism there. But even even a, a world, a, a sort of fictional world that looks very much like our own is a crafted story meant to kind of, it's not meant to, have a message but it's meant to sort of you know convey a kind of symbolic truth about whatever it is that the author is is writing about so i, I don't know if that answers the question <laughs> i think that does a great job of answering the question Thank you. okay good <laughs> 
And he also asked, what will be the fateful hour when the Daily Wire empire will be ready to acquire some of your creative power? Oh, boy. I don't know if I even know what that means. Like, like if. <laughs> like, when are you going to join Daily Wire? I don't know. I, they're not asking me. I, I'm very happy to be published by them. I, I hope I, you know, I hope that I can do this again. I hope I can write another one. <laughs> um, I love the way he writes questions. He always, like, has questions for my guests and they're always, like, amazing. I love it. That's great. He's a great dude. Um, how do you know when a book that you're working on is done? And that was by Caveat Ties. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so it becomes a lot easier if you've written an outline to begin with. I'm a big, big believer in outlining. So if you have written an outline, you at least know when you're done with the first draft because you got to the end of the story. Then uh, I also am a big believer in like editing the heck out of it, like sort of ripping it to proverbial shreds and then putting it back together in new ways. Um, I think that you know that it's done when the changes that you're making aren't actually making it better. They're just changes. So I think, you know, you know, when like, you know, oh, wow, this isn't, this really isn't working. I need to fix this. So then you fix it. And, you know, but then if you're just kind of rearranging things for the sake of it, mm -hmm. and then what you have to do at that point is show it to somebody else. And, and the somebody else that you show it to has to be somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. So not like, you know, not like your husband or your friend who loves you, but doesn't really know anything about writing. Like you have to show it to somebody who really knows their stuff about writing. And if you don't have anyone like that, you have to hire that person. <laughs> like you have to find someone who can tell you what to do. And then they all give you notes and then you follow those notes and then you're probably done. That's a really solid one. It kind of reminded me of like, that kind of seems like the literary version of, you know, when like you're a girl, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're a girl, yes. you know, when you're getting like ready to go out somewhere and then like you accidentally give yourself too much time and then you're mm. at like the ninth hour and then you're like doing some random like makeup thing and you're just like, I do not need to be doing this. Yes, I, just I don't leave. need this. Right. Yeah. And it, you probably look worse because you've like done yeah. too many things to yourself. Yeah. It's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, totally not my first Christmas with my husband. <laughs> uh, um, how do you stay inspired and focused while writing a book? And that's my Heather Mama. Um, I, I am blessed with the fact that I don't have very much time. And so I, I made a commitment that the time that I have, which is usually my kids nap time is my work time. And, you know, I don't, like I don't check social media. I don't, I don't do any of that. I don't check my email. I don't do any of that. I turn everything off and I work for that amount of time. But I also think like part of that is the planning that I was talking about, like the outlining and the kind of character descriptions and things like that, that you mm -hmm. do beforehand, because that tells you if this is a story that you want to spend time with. Like if you're writing a, a full length novel, you're going to be in it for probably close to a year. And so you need to know before you start whether this is a world that you want to live in for a year, if these are people that you want to hang out with for a year, and that pre-planning stuff really helps with that. Because once you've done it, you're like, oh, this is cool. I do. I really want to explore this. Um, and then you do. And if you have an outline, you know, even if it sort of changes a little here and there, because stories do have a way of getting away from you and characters have a way of not wanting to do what you ask them to, um, which is very weird, but it's true. 
even then, you know, you can kind of say, okay, well, we're not going this way, but here's the rest of the outline. And, and you kind of know where you're going. So you're not stuck. You don't get, you don't really get stuck if you have that planned out in advance. So I think it's really about the planning and about the kind of like making sure that you've picked a story that you want to stick with. That's really awesome. Thanks. Hope that helps other mama. Um, so Prolife Sam asked best advice for someone interested in learning how to write. And do you have any resources that come to mind that would be helpful? I took a, you know, gander at your site and I know you have a lot of great stuff there. Yes. So I have several resources that I hope will help you. Um, one, my other hat that I wear, I, my mom hat is my biggest hat. My novelist writer hat is my second biggest hat. But then my other hat is editor. And I, I edit people's writing as a job. And, um, and so because of that, I have several things on my website that might be helpful. Um, my website is faithkmore.com. Um, and then on that website, there's a tab called, there's two tabs that might interest you. One is called editing services, which if you want to hire me to edit your work, that's where you go to learn more about that. I will say it though, um, I'm booked through June of next year, which is insane. Um, so if you want to get on my calendar, let me know. Um, but I also have a tab called writing courses, I think is what it's called. And I have a couple mm. things there. One is a whole free series of videos called how to write fiction, which takes you through the whole process that I was just talking about of kind of how to come up with your idea, your outline, your characters, et cetera, et cetera, all the way to, to writing. And that's there and it's free. Each video is like five minutes. So it shouldn't take you very much time. And then I sort of sporadically teach live classes um those videos are for sale so i but i think it's like 10 bucks a video or something like that and you can kind of see on that page on the story club live page mm -hmm. which is the live classes you can see what's what all is there um and some stuff is on my youtube channel i have a youtube channel you can just find me faith more on youtube and some stuff is free that's up there so i hope that that is helpful was there another part of the question how to get started or something um do you have best advice for someone interested in learning how to write and do you have any resources that come to mind that would be helpful okay. so yeah so actually one of those ten dollar videos is called mm -hmm. how to actually sit down and write and so i guess i just suggest that you if you have ten dollars that, that you buy that and you know what and even if you don't just tell me that you watched this and i'll just give it to you <laughs> And she also asked this question that really interests me as well. Um, now that I'm a mom, looking back at some of these Disney movies, I just don't think I'd love my children to watch them. Not all of them, just some. For example, Pinocchio is drugs, drinking, child trafficking. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Am I being overdramatic? Are there any older Disney movies that you'd probably not let your younger children watch? Um, so I think that's really valid. It's way more valid than I don't want my kid to watch Cinderella because, you know, she gets rescued by a man or whatever, which isn't yeah. true. Um, so, and there is, I watched Pinocchio, which is a movie I loved as a kid, by the way, like loved as a child. Um, and I was I watched obsessed it with it. With, totally obsessed with it. Um, I watched it with my older kid when he was much younger, like four or five. And mm -hmm. I was kind of like, whoa, like what is going on on Pleasure <laughs> Island? Like, what is this? Um, so I, I think that's totally valid. And I think that it's kind of like each person's at each person's discretion like you go back and watch it and decide you know there's some weird stuff in Peter Pan too I don't really censor that stuff in my house because I I feel like those older Disney movies do kind of have 
the they are sort of the gold standard of of kids television and movies and and they do kind of have my my stamp of approval and I think that that stuff kind of goes over the heads of kids who are too young to understand it like I really don't think like when my kid watched Pinocchio that he had any clue about the smoking yeah. and the drugs and, and the weird stuff there same same with Peter Pan and some of those other ones so I think you're probably okay to show them and they'll take from them the kind of lovely parts of the story and not the weird stuff but also like that's totally you're allowed to not show things to your kids that you think are inappropriate so I think I don't think you're I mean I don't think you're like totally off base I think there are some weird stuff because you know in the past there they had really different ideas about what was okay to yeah. show to kids um and so if that doesn't jive with what you feel like is okay to show to kids then you know definitely definitely wait so I I I think that's valid but I also think it's probably not going to register with your very young children yeah I went through a phase where like I was obsessed with it and then I turned like I don't know seven or eight or somewhere in yeah. there and then I would cry every time I saw him get turned into a donkey yeah because it's really scary yeah. like it's it's really like terrifying yeah because when you're a little kid you're like oh a donkey like I might want to yeah. be a donkey like I mean like when you're like three you're like pretending to be a donkey all the time you're like I'm a unicorn <laughs> exactly. today I'm a donkey like whatever but then when you're older you're like wait a minute Ew, like he's really turning into a donkey. So yeah. Yeah. And then I think like when your kids are older, then those are conversations you can have. Like, you know, look at what they were doing. Look, that's so gross. Like you shouldn't, you know, you should listen to your parents and not run off with strange cats or whatever. Yeah. You know? So yeah. <laughs> um Answered Sater said, uh, the rescues has something to say about Disney. And then Swim Hook and Whiskey Biz say Fantasia is supposedly an acid trip, and so is Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yes. Yeah. For sure. I I have <laughs> I think never seen Fantasia all the way through because I keep falling asleep. I think you really probably have to be on drugs. I've never done drugs, but I really think that you probably have to be in order to enjoy that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something for sure. Yeah. Um, and then are there certain fairy tales that are inherently bad, inherently better yeah. or worse than others, or should they all be appreciated equally? Um, that sounds like a sort of like a, a preference thing. Like I, yeah. So fairy tales, I mean, I think, it's tricky with fairy tales like there are books that are objectively bad like there can be like objectively bad writing and mm. therefore the book is bad you know or or there can be books that are like so degraded you know they have like weird stuff in them that's so yeah. icky and awful that that makes the book bad um but but mostly I think it's a, other than that I think it's a sort of matter of taste and fairy tales are they come out of an oral tradition so they can't really be badly written, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're yeah. written down by usually the Brothers Grimm. And then of course there are others um, that, that may or may not be like Beauty and the Beast is not mm -hmm. one of those. And all of the Hans Christian Andersen stories are original to him. Mm -hmm. So there are, are several um, like that. And then there are certain versions of Cinderella that don't come out of the Grimm's tradition. But I think with fairy tales, it's more, um, it's sort of less like, bad and good but rather like what speaks to you and what doesn't speak to you because they all have kind of themes that um are sort of allegorically and symbolically represented and some things might interest you more than others or speak to you more than others so I think that in that sense it's more like a preference thing yeah I would agree what are some of your favorite books for tween girls and are any of those about horses or snowmen Ooh, okay um so I have two boys. So this this is a little tricky for me. And the things that I'm going to say here are probably very old, but that doesn't make them bad. Um, 
there's a book called The Snowman Who Couldn't Melt. Speaking of snowmen, um, that's what you said, snowmen, right? Horses. Yeah, snowmen. Okay, so there's a book called The Snowman um, Who I think it's called The Snowman Who Couldn't Melt. I'm looking because I actually might I actually might have it on my shelf. Um, but I won't bore you by looking for it. Uh, I can't remember the author, but I remember liking that as a tween girl. Um, and horses, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to be very helpful about horses. I mean, there's like Black Beauty and yeah. what's the other one? National Velvet, I think, mm-hmm. um, are... Also horse diary, good. like a diary of a horse or something. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I was never really a horse person, so I, I don't know for sure um and then just generally like books for that age group there's the Anastasia series by Lois Lowry which I loved as a kid um and then A Little Princess and The Secret Garden I think are good for that age A Little Princess is better I'm sorry than The Secret Garden I know The Secret Garden is like the famous one but A Little Princess oh like my copy of A Little Princess is here and it is like (laughs) you don't know if you can see how like beat up it is like it's so beat up because I love that book so much um so yeah I'm sorry to not be more helpful because I'm sort of going off of myself as a teen as a tween as opposed to kind of what is out there now I used to teach I used to teach third grade um but like I think it was all sort of Harry Potter I mean Harry Potter (laughs) it was all sort of Harry Potter and things like that so I hope some of those are helpful I also went through, I know they're not about horses or snowmen, but I also went through like a very much in old classics. When I was in like the tween range, I was like, oh, now I have like a good enough reading skill so I can read classic books. And I was obsessed with the Indian in the cupboard and I totally loved Heidi. Yeah. I read that so many times it fell apart. Those are great. And there's like, so I, growing up in England, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) we're all getting over this weird cough. Um, (laughs) Growing up in England, um, Enid Blyton is, um, a children's author for for both genders, I guess, but she has um the the Mallory Towers series. I don't it might be like too British, like but basically what's cool about it is that mm-hmm. Harry Potter is based on this type of fiction, which is the type uh, it's a, it's called the school stories, which is about mm-hmm. um kids at 12 years old who go off to boarding school, which is a thing in England. And so mm-hmm. the Mallory Towers books are like each just like Harry Potter, like each grade that this particular character, Daryl Rivers, goes through. And mm-hmm. so that that is funny because Americans don't understand this, but the genius of Harry Potter was that she was telling a school story, which is a genre of book, except it was magic. So um anyway, so mm-hmm. Enid Blyton might be something to check out if you're not weirded out by the Britishness of it all. <laughs> oh, I prefer the Britishness of some yeah, things and of like the old schoolness. <laughs> like I was obsessed with Trixie Belden. Do you remember yeah. those at all? Uh, I don't. I didn't read them, but I know what I know what they are. But yeah. yeah. And then um, one of the la- uh, there's two more questions. And then how do you feel about shows that are good and then go woke? Mm, that's. I think that's sad. I mean, yeah. I, I and I feel like. I have this sort of like fair amount of tolerance for like, you know, whatever. I, I'm a sucker because like if, if I like it to begin with, I'm going to watch it till the very end. Like, yeah. like my favorite show of all time is Downton Abbey and it really kind of jumped the shark at a certain point, but I just, I couldn't stop watching it. So, you know, I feel like there's no shame in keeping watching even if it goes woke, but it's, that's too bad because if it was a good show to start with, 
then yeah. it's sad when that happens. I mean, I feel like you just come to care for, like, Elizabeth and, like, all of the different other characters and, like, what's going on in their lives. And it just, you get sucked in. You're like, I need to know what happens. Does Matthew die? Yeah, well, exactly. Spoiler. Spoiler. (laughs) Yeah. But you really do (laughs) need to know. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last question is, what is your favorite color? Blue. (laughs) Same. (laughs) And the person who asked me this is going to get on my case if I don't. Ask the follow-up of what shade? Ooh. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like light blue, but I also like a good kind of, like, sort of rich, like, royal blue. Yeah. That's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a thing since the very first time I started the show. So. Cool. <laughs> I love it. Great. <laughs> So all of the links for you can be found below, just so everybody in chat knows. Would you like to tell us where we can find you next week at a, roughly this time? Um, right, yes. Next week, I will be on the um, book club with Jess. What is it called? The Hawkhound Book Club? The Hawkhound Book Club. Okay. So I will be on the Hawkhound Book Club, um, which I'm very excited about. Um, yes. At roughly the same time. I think it's 730. I'll have to. Yeah, 730. Just, okay, yeah, 7.30. Um, yeah. Yes, that is where I will be. So, And we will talk much more about Christmas Carol. I'm excited. Yeah, Jess and Elise are amazing. You're absolutely going to love them. Um, I'm actually... I guys, <laughs> I knew you have good taste. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> They're two of my dearest friends. Um, so because of that and because I want to see the whole interview and everything live, and I'm sure a lot of people who like crossover wise i'm actually going to be taking next week off so that i can be in the chat live and then oh my gosh that's so sweet that's lovely sorry to disrupt your your schedule (laughs) no i mean i probably need a week off anyway (laughs) yes you deserve a week off you deserve a break i did the tuesday i did last tuesday right before we got in the car that very morning um like the next morning and like drove all the way to Maine. so oh my goodness thank you so much answer seder Thank you so much. Um, he said, excellent interview, Frida. Thanks, Faith. Wait, what? I got a $10 Rumble rant from Answered Seder. And oh, that's It's nice. one of my first ones. Good thank job. You. Well done. <laughs> and so, um, thank you so much. Uh, we'll resume Finding the Faith on December 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with a conversation that I'm quite excited about. And I hope to see all of you there. And then remember, all of the important links are in the episode description below so thank you so much for coming on finding the faith it's thank you i'm so glad i found you <laughs> yes that's right here i am thank you so much for having me this was so fun thank you it was so fun um stay based and stay blessed everyone thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode kindly do me a favor and leave me a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app My podcast is available wherever you can listen, and it's also available live on Rumble on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern. I hope you can join us in whatever format works best for you. Please tell somebody that you care about about this episode so that I can spread my work and encourage more people. And remember, stay based and stay blessed.